0: Welcome, everybody. Uh, My name is Kirsten Shepherd-Barr, and I'm Knowledge Exchange Champion for the Humanities. And I'd like to welcome you all to tonight's showcase and extend a particular welcome to our external guests, as well as those from within the university. Before we start, just some housekeeping notes for St. Luke's Chapel. In the event of the fire alarm sounding, it's it's not a scheduled test. So please leave the building via the fire exits located at the front and the back of the chapel. And even more importantly, please turn off your phones. There are many people in the KE team at Torch who have helped get us here tonight. And I want to thank you all for the organization of the 2017 KE Showcase. We are very proud of the Torch Knowledge Exchange Fellowships Program, now in its fifth year. We are very grateful to HEIF, the Higher Education Innovation Fund, for funding it, and to Professor Ian Walmsley and the KE and Impact Committee for their ongoing support. Knowledge exchange in humanities means the mutually beneficial sharing of ideas, data, experience, and expertise, and involves collaboration between researchers and external organizations or the public. There are many potential pathways and outcomes from this reciprocity that demonstrate both the enhancement of academic research and the benefits to society and the economy. The projects we shall hear about tonight demonstrate how our colleagues have interpreted the concept of co-producing a reciprocal outcome with, I'm sure you'll agree, remarkable success. The KE Fellowships are humanities' flagship scheme for supporting external partnerships. The scheme allows academics at all career levels to partner with external organizations to develop mutually beneficial projects to enhance their own research while also contributing to the partners' needs. Its continued success signals an increasing appetite for innovative partnerships in the humanities. We're going to hear now from a selection of our current KE Fellows about a few of the projects that have been happening this year, And I'm delighted that we also have here some of their external partners. Thank you so much to them for joining us this evening. These projects really would not be possible without your support and engagement. After the formal presentations, there should be time for a couple of brief questions, and these will not be filmed. We will then move on to a wine reception where you can meet and talk to the fellows, um, have a look at the posters, and so please do stay on for this um, and join us to keep talking about KE. I'm going to start right off with our first speaker. Toby Young is the Gian Turco Junior Research Fellow at Lineker College, Oxford. His research looks at the relationship between philosophy and creative practice, often exploring the boundaries between popular music and classical music. As a composer and songwriter, he's written music for a wide range of musicians, including the London Symphony Orchestra, Duran Duran, Chase and Status, Jacob Banks and the Rolling Stones. His project partner is Claire McCollin from McCollin Arts.
1: Hi. Um, thank you. Ah, oh, clicker. Um, first of all, an apology from Claire, who's my project partner, who's not here because she's singing Otello at the Royal Opera House, which I think is a fairly good excuse. <laughs> Um, so you should have me instead Uh, so my project my project is um, called uh, Transforming Operatic Voice and we've been working together um, with McCaulden Arts who are an opera company based in London to explore what opera singing is versus pop singing in the broadest possible way Um, the, the rough The frame of the project was to start off by exploring the issues abstractly, then bringing them towards a workshop context, which I'll talk about in a second, and then now bringing it back to the concert hall by curating a special programme for her uh, to perform in London and Oxford. We started off with our literature review, questioning what is operatic singing? We sort of all know what it is colloquially, but actually what really is it? What makes an operatic voice, as opposed to a classical voice in a concert hall, as opposed to a pop voice? And we found that actually there are quite a few things that, that um, are quite questionable about the, the different vocal techniques. Um, so we decided to do a, a broader literature review than we first planned, and we decided to make it into a radio show so we could play lots of examples. Um, the first thing we did is we went through a lot of X-Factor recordings, um, to try and see what happens. And actually, it's very interesting, because seeing things like x facts which have mostly untrained voices, you can quite quickly work out what people are mimicking, and therefore what elements they're taking away from the professional recordings. So we then went back to the professional recordings and kind of tried to match those up. Um, and we saw a lot of strange things. The thing that was very interesting was that our first assumption about opera singing was that it has vibrato in. That's the main thing. You have um, the, the, the singer in the middle of the stage with a massive vibrato, you can't hear any of the words, and that is an operatic voice. Um, and of course, that's not at all what it's all about. If you listen to many pop singers, there's plenty of vibrato as well. So we sort of made a list of things we thought might be issues, um, questioned them in, in the broadest context, and then brought them towards a workshop situation. Um, There's a picture in our music faculty of us having amazing fun, as you can see. Uh, In the workshop, we worked with um, Claire, who's in the middle at the back, who's an opera singer, and then Heather Cancross on the left, who um, was trained classically but then worked in pop music for a long time. Um, She has a garage hit to her name, as well as uh, jazz music, who's part of the Swingle Singers in London. So she has a a very um, broad approach to music, and we basically just sat around singing for an afternoon. We talked about the different things that um, maybe they were thinking about, different things we could hear, the different ways that they're approaching music, and trying to piece together some of these two very different styles. Now, before this workshop, I was going to play some examples, but I've been doing do a little bit of singing for you. Um, I'm not really a singer. Uh, I was a Chorus Scholar many years ago, but in true KE style, my project partner has given me a lesson to try and make this a little more bearable for you. So, if I start off with my interpretation of an opera voice, saying something like... Um, uh, so... Ave Maria, Gracia plena, etc. Something like that. That is what we think of as opera. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you thought this was a professional afternoon of presentations, but no. Um, that's what we think of as opera voice. Sort of big, lots of. I mean, I instinctively had my hands for gestures. Very sort of dramatic thing with lots of vibrato vibrato actually is a, it, it's more a practical thing than an expressive thing. In the world of opera, it's basically a, a tool to help your voice carry across the massive space in an opera house. So if I sing vibrato quietly, it, it has a very, um, a very different character, but also things like um, the, the way I use words. So one thing we discovered during the workshop is that pop singing is much more about the self, about the identity of the singer, whereas opera is much more about the, the performer as a sort of vehicle. That kind of is obvious in some ways, but we hadn't really realised the extent to which it happened. So, for example, ornamentation is much more down to the, the singer in, in pop music. The words are much more important. It's much more about expressing it. Um, the, the words of the content often about first person. Whereas in opera, there's a sort of emphasis on the beauty of the sound on this exaggerated performance, often because of the, the nature of the roles, of being you know, kings or uh, mythical creatures. It's very much about a very different world. And so we realised that actually a lot of it's about things like volume and personality. If you can bring the the space towards you, whether it be through a microphone or through um, some other technology, um, bringing in some sort of ornamentation to to show my own mark on the music and making it about the words rather than about the sound, that helps a lot. Um, I will try one thing quickly. I don't know, is is the microphone on? So if I get a bit closer and I try to do this a bit quieter and sing... Ave Maria, plena. I mean, it's a bit piss takey, but it does have slightly more pop quality, doesn't it? You can hear the, the pop element in it. And all I've done is I've made it quieter, I've put some orientation in, I've made the words more focused, and tried to um, keep it about my identity. I even close my eyes, you can see i sort of trying to get into it. So things like that we, we realise are a, massive, um, a massively important thing. So we, we're trying to explore those um, in the programme that I'm creating for, for uh, Claire. What's also interesting is in the workshop we realised that because this is all about the person, like the singer, um, the, the idea of a, a kind of KE project has been really questioned by what we're doing. We've had to... Um, Work with something quite fundamental to people and change it. So through this process, as well as making the sounds very different, we've had to engage with a physical technique to be able to convert their singing from one thing to another. And that's been a very interesting project for us. How do we, and especially me as a researcher, how do I engage with the terminology, the, um, the sort of personal quality of, of their singing? Um, and that's something we want to explore in a bit more detail. So we're actually putting in an AHRC bid at the moment to try and um, build a bigger project around the, kind of, the way it's so personal. The other thing that we discovered during this project is that actually social context is very important. Um, I sung you something that's sort of operatic in, in style, in context. And that obviously has a great deal to play with it. Um, I don't mean to assume anything, but you will strike me as karaoke-loving audience. So if we think about karaoke bars, I wouldn't really go and sing Schubert's Ave Maria. So thinking then about how we can push this further using different social contexts um, and maybe reaching different audiences, that's our next step. Um, But for now, I hope that's given you a little flavour of the work we've been doing. I look forward to some questions later. Thank you very much.